I can't find anyone, and the power doesn't work. If this was a slasher film, I'd be dead by now. <laughs> she has minutes left. everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're looking at a movie from the year 2000, which is the best movie year. The best year for movies. I can't even say it. it, it it's factually incorrect. We're looking at Bloodhouse. No. This intro is just a complete write-off, isn't it? We're looking at Witch House 2, Blood Coven. And uh, it's the second movie in the Witch House series. And the third one that I'm reviewing because I can't count. And basically, I, I stumbled on the third one. I decided to read, uh, review the first two just to sort of make up the set as to where I am nothing if not a completionist. But ironically, the third one is still my favourite for the fact that it just contains more witchy stuff. Um, this one is probably on par with the first or maybe even worse than the first one. We'll see as we go into it. Like the others in the series, it is 76 minutes long and a certificate 15. And uh, I have to trigger warn for this one for a uh, two things. One, a moment which is kind of creepily reminiscent of sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, it's quite tame in the watching of it, but it might upset some people. And one bizarre mention of rape, uh, which I felt kind of trivialised sexual assault. So... I'm going to trigger one for those things, and then we're going to get into the plot. We start out with a girl and a guy in found footage. The girl is the one on camera, the guy is the one holding the camera, so we don't really see much of him. Uh, but their names are Dez and Dementia. Uh, she's a goth, in case that wasn't immediately obvious. And they appear to be at the building site for a new mall, which is sort of the focus of the movie. It's in the woods, it's night time, we know they're not getting out of here alive. So they proceed into the woods and she keeps making fun of him in like a little baby voice like, are you scared? Are you scared of the witches in the wood? Which gets annoying after about 30 seconds and she does it for seven minutes. So prepare yourself for that but it's it's a basically their way of getting across the ex, uh, exposition that there's meant to be a story about witches being buried in this wood i'm also quite worried in the scene because and this is probably the wrong thing to be worried about her bra doesn't fit very well not in the way of like this is a sexy movie so we're going to show some tna but she's got like that under boob hang thing where it's like i think you need to go up a cup size love just saying that was my got one moment we're moving on he follows her into the woods, and then they hear creepy noises, so decide to run away. They hurry back to the car, talking about how they think they're being followed. Then she trips over, and as he helps her up, a sword comes into view and cuts his head off. The camera kind of gets tilted up, so we actually see his face from below as this happens. Blood goes all over her, it goes all over him. The camera spins to the ground and, and then turns off. So that's our, our found footage opening. We're then shown like that this is being watched or shown by an older guy and says like this is several months ago we thought it was a hoax but it appears it wasn't. Uh, there's only one person in the entire amphitheatre that he's presenting to so I don't know why they had to be in an amphitheatre for this but um, 
there's a woman sitting at a desk like in the middle of the floor part not even in any of the many empty seats and he's he's talking to her and he says four very old skeletons have been found at the building site and so she is being sent to identify them uh, using her abilities as a professor her name is professor sparrow i don't know why he showed her the video of the two people being murdered because that isn't connected to the witch bodies as like as far as he's aware oh by the way these are witch bodies because this is a film about witches but he's asking this woman as like a university professor to go and identify these old remains why is he showing her a video of two completely unconnected people who just happen to be in the same area being murdered by someone with a sword maybe warn her about that verbally but it makes it seem like she's going there to investigate their deaths and she isn't so we meet professor sparrow she looks exactly like dementia but with reddish hair instead of black hair and there are some people double rolling in this film and a lot of uncredited roles so when i looked this up on imdb i couldn't find a credit for dementia or for uh, a corpse that appears later which i'll comment on when we get to it both of which I think are being played by the same actress who's playing Professor Sparrow, who played Lilith the Witch in the original Witch House, and I guess in all subsequent movies. Um, so that was a little bit weird to me. Why would you take like your main actress and make her play three roles? Was there like no one making sandwiches for the team that you could have roped in for that or not shown or just pick a different actress? But there we go. Can't say for sure it's the same person. To me, it looked exactly the same. The professor, a blonde woman and a dude arrive at a creepy house. Um, this confused me because they kept like saying they were investigating at the house, but I thought they were investigating the woods where the bodies were found. But apparently the house is in the woods and both are being demolished to build this mega mall. This house is a giant mansion, yet they seem to pretend that it was built in like the 1800s. This thing has like three wings and four stories and looks like a wedding cake so hard to imagine it being built back then but okay the blonde lady and the dude are norman and bethany i said those the wrong way around the blonde lady is not called norman uh but they are like research assistants helping with the professor's stuff and they're expecting some more people including a guy called clark to show up later they're met by the sheriff who is wearing like big sheriff sunglasses and a big sheriff moustache and uh, he basically kind of warns them off a little bit he's like and eh, the locals aren't too happy about this stirring up trouble things we want them all built jobs america yeah and then he disappears they go into the house and it's super old and dusty and covered in like sheets and there's leaves all over the floor so at least they did a good job of making this look like an abandoned house unlike some other movies i could mention house of the witch um but later on it seems like this is a modern house which they've completely moved into so i'll get there when we get there but this confused me that it was so obviously abandoned at this juncture and then later on seemed to be well lived in on the wall there's also the same painting from elizabeth's house in witch house one uh, this woman holding a baby and that made me think that maybe they were trying to make out that this was elizabeth's house but they are drastically different buildings because elizabeth's house looked like a fucking observatory and this house looks like a, a giant manor house they're completely different buildings um i might have even forgiven them if they couldn't get like the rights to like film outside that observatory again for just using old footage but 
it's weird that they would pretend that it's the same building when it's it's not. Although, to be honest, this retcons a lot of things from the first Witch House movie, so it's not really related to it. We meet Clark. Clark snores, and that's the only thing we really learn about him. This makes Norman leave his bedroom and go downstairs to where Bethany is reading about local history in a pamphlet, which talks about how they burned some witches alive in the town square. She says, like, oh, the local history around here is kind of interesting. I guess there might be some local sites worth checking out. And then she gets up and she's wearing one of those, like, really high cut up the legs, kind of aerobics 1980s panties. You know the ones that just look like you've drawn a V on yourself and then that's the pattern for making them? But it's like, aha, because she said there are sights to see and then we saw some of her butt. Comedy. The next day everyone goes to look at the graves, they find the skeletons, they talk about how the skeletons are like 200 years old. We meet one of the other research people who's called Angela. There's another girl there who is not named for the longest time, so her name is now Melissa. I'm just going to call her Melissa. Clark and the professor pry open the coffins. An awful smell comes out. I don't know what they were expecting. Um, but there we go. Uh, Steph and Norman then get sent to question some locals because this movie wants to be the Blair Witch and it wants you to know it. So they go off to like investigate people. The sheriff pops by again to talk to the professor and she says that they're going to DNA test some of the bones today. So they're going to um, basically cut a chunk of bone out and try and DNA test it from the bone dust because obviously there's no like skin or hair or tissue or anything left. Steph and Norman vlog in the car for a little bit and we find a little bit about Stephanie about how she wants to do forensic archaeology or whatever it is they're doing here I don't know what the name for it is um, because she was going to be a medical examiner like her dad but then he died and she had to drop out of medical school so this is honoring him slightly. She's the only person we ever find out any personal information about, so you know she's going to die tragically. They then interview the town mortician, who's a creepy chain smoker, and he says that they only have records of official burials, which obviously, like if someone buries their like dead uncle in the yard, they're not going to call the local mortician like, can you note this down for posterity? Uh, but basically says if the women who were buried in the woods are witches they wouldn't have a record of their burial so this kicks off the idea that they might be witches the dna testing starts and professor sparrow goes about this in a very ham-fisted way she's got one of those very small rotary saws but it doesn't have like a safety guard or anything on it it looks like one of the ones you'd use for woodwork as opposed to one of the ones you'd use for like pathology um and she's trying to like jam it into the rounded top of a skull so it's already glancing off of this because it's a rounded part of the skull and she's got her hand like two centimeters away so predictably she saws into her own hand like a dumbass and gets a bunch of bone dust and shit in there um so that that's obviously not good even if it wasn't the corpse of an ancient witch probably don't want to be just mushing bits of skeletons into yourself we then get a scene at night where the mortician is applying makeup to a corpse who i think is played by the same person who plays dementia and professor sparrow except this time she still has red hair so for a second i was like fuck did she die from that finger wound already and no one mentioned it but it's not her it's someone else so either there are like two maybe three semi-identical actresses working on this movie or they made the main actor multi-role but didn't do anything to change her appearance like they couldn't even put a wig on her all right 
Maybe they could have just used Melissa. We didn't even get a good look at her earlier. She's just a random girl. He gets on the phone to someone, we don't know who, and he's like, oh, hey, I found an old receipt from the 1800s because I was digging around after them darn kids left. And guess what? We sold four coffins just before the burial must have taken place. So even if we didn't bury them, we made their coffins. And guess whose signature's on it? And then he doesn't get to reveal that. Um, because he ends the call and then creepy noises happen and he gets beheaded by a guy with a big sword. This makes no sense and I'll come back to this later. Steph and Norman are at the library and they're complaining because they think the locals are hiding the very high-tech 2000s computers from them to make their jobs harder. They haven't found anything and the librarian, who is not shown because I'm guessing they couldn't get that woman to do a fourth role, um, has apparently said they should speak to Angus, who is their like town historian or just a town guy with an appreciation for history. There we go. We see the professor waking up at the house. She has a headache. She goes into the bathroom and gets some pills from the medicine cabinet. The medicine cabinet is like full of medicine. There aren't just like one bottle of pills in there. It's like packed, which is weird because I thought, okay, they came to this abandoned house like two days ago. They set up their like little lab downstairs, but it seems like they have fully unpacked and put all their stuff everywhere whereas i think if they were like camping in an abandoned house they'd like have like little camp beds and stuff and it would look more like they were just staying there for a few days whereas they're like sleeping in the beds cooking in the kitchen they've got stuff in the cabinets it feels like this house is like ready to live in as opposed to abandoned for ages so that was weird but when she shuts the cabinet we see her eyes are all glowing green and she's doing a smirk so guess she's possessed now the next day, Professor Sparrow, or, you know, possessed Professor Sparrow, which is hard to say, sends out some of the others to get DNA samples from the remaining three bodies, because she needs them for reasons, probably to possess other people with murderous witches. She's acting a lot more aggressive and a lot more just like a bad guy in a film. And the acting kind of takes a hit from here because a lot of the dialogue is quite cliche and it's just being acted like she's the femme fatale in like a daytime soap the sheriff comes by again looking for the mortuary guy who's apparently now missing why is he looking at the abandoned house where the science people are why is he not looking at the mortician's house or the mortician's friend's house or you know doing anything that police do why is he just going out to the strangers who have had very little to no contact with him to, to look for it, it just boggles the imagination in the car, Steph and Norman are heading out again, and Steph says the mortician's witch comment is bothering her because the records for the town are, like, super complete, but there are no record of any executions in the, like, official files. So it feels like they've just been red-acted. If that's true, they've done a terrible job because it was in the tourist, like, leaflet that she was looking at the day they got here. So they apparently took the trouble of excising all these records from the official records, and then just put it in the tourist pamphlet anyway, because shits and gigs, I guess. They head off to see Angus, the history dude. He says his family were like town founders, and that he has helped to protect the town from evil. Uh, when asked if he believes in witches, he says some of the executed were witches, and some were innocent. Uh, he then tells the story that in 1826, a young soldier brought a sickness back to the town. Uh, the doctors could do nothing, so the town eventually asked a condemned coven 
to agree to help them. And in exchange, they would be granted mercy. They would not be executed. They would be allowed to live. And this coven was led by Lilith Le Fay, which is the same name as the witch in the original movie, and I guess the same as Lilith in the third movie. They banished the sickness, and I was waiting for there to be a twist. Like, you know, then they did something really evil. But no, the town elders were just like, psych, and murdered them anyway. Um, they hired some witch hunters to drown them and then bury them in the woods. So they weren't burned as in the tourist leaflet. Um, so then they go do a few more pointless interviews around town, which is sort of mildly comedic, but I didn't think there was anything worth mentioning in there. What bothered me is that this is a different origin story for Lilith than we had in the first movie. In the first movie, she was a, an evil witch who was the daughter of two evil sorceresses, sorcerers and sorceresses who became really powerful and evil and then tried to sacrifice a child and so was killed. This is a completely different origin story for a completely different house and a witch who just happens to have the same name. So I was confused as to what the connection was meant to be here. This story also left me real confused as to who I was meant to root for because it seems like the witches were doing the right thing and we weren't told like they were arrested and put to death because they were practicing black magic. We're just told that, you know, they were caught up in the witch trials. So it just kind of makes them look like the wronged party, although later when we see them it's like, oh wow, you look very evil. So I was confused. The interviews with the sundry yokels, aside from making the movie look even more like a riff-off of the Blair Witch, also confirm that the house is the abandoned house from Witch House. Um, but it doesn't, again, look like it's old enough to be as old as they're saying. Norman and Stephanie then head back to the Witch House, where the possessed professor has three syringes of green liquid. I don't know why it's green. There we go. Uh, it's like night time and everyone's asleep. So she goes into Clark's room and climbs on top of him and basically propositions him in that evil femme fatale, not very well acted way. And he's like, oh, well, I'm gay. But in the middle of that sentence, like before he says gay at the end, she licks him with like a foot and a half long CGI tongue. And he does not react to this. I feel like he was meant to like say that last bit as if he was afraid or had just realised that there was something creepy going on, but he doesn't, and so it just feels like really disjointed and like he's not reacting enough to the weird shit. Anyway, she syringes his eye. I guess now he's going to get possessed too. When she gets up, we see that she's now wearing like kind of witchy fetish wear. She's got like that high Queen of Hearts collar again, like she did in the first movie. She's got the bad Lilith teeth in. Again, if this is meant to be like a good witch who was killed for just helping some townspeople, she needed a dentist and maybe a costume change. Melissa, the as yet unnamed girl, wakes up uh, and wakes up Angela who's sharing her room because she hears a weird noise. Angela doesn't want to get up so Melissa goes to investigate her little silky robe because this is still kind of a TNA film. Uh, she goes into the creepy attic covered in deer heads and shits. Um, she then finds this like big mirror and like pulls the sheet off of it and is like, oh cool, and then starts kind of like doing a little strip tease in front of it and going like, wow, I'm so hot. Has this girl never seen a reflective surface before? Because her reaction to this is just like she's a budgery girl. It's it's bizarre to me, but there we go. And then she hears creepy noises and turns around and goes, hey, I'm warning you, I'll scream rape. And it's like, why would you put that line in your movie? It makes no sense. It's trivialising, you know, actual sexual assault. 
it makes her seem like kind of a shitty character who would just do that for no reason. And she already looks stupid because of the aforementioned peacocking in front of the mirror. So it made no sense. She thankfully gets murdered. Angela then goes looking for Melissa, who is apparently called Jody, but I like Melissa better. So she's still Melissa. She now also can't find Clark. So she's like, I'm in this big old house all by my fucking self. I should probably leave. Steph and Norman show up and Angela comes out and she's like, I can't find anyone and the power doesn't work. If this was a slasher film, I'd be dead by now. <laughs> she has minutes left. They decide to use the camcorder light to explore because, you know, more found footage. They find empty syringes in the lab, which means that after injecting Clark and Melissa, Lilith for some reason took the empty syringes back to the lab, which makes no sense because they eventually find an empty syringe in Clark's room. Unclear what's going on. They do a bit more exploring. Norman suggests they phone the sheriff, which is a good plan. But, you know, the phones are dead, as we knew they would be. Steph wants to check upstairs. And Norman's like, are you fucking stupid? We need to leave. But then they all end up going up there anyway. So rip Norman and his common sense. The battery on the camera starts to die, uh, which puts an annoying flickering symbol in the middle of everything we're watching for the longest time. They identify the same weird coffin smell as they go upstairs, but it's now stronger. And in Clark's room, they find the bedsheets soaked in green gunge and the empty syringe. They then follow some footsteps, shouting out to Melissa, like, are you here? Do you need help? The answer to both those questions is yes and no. They decide to leave because things are getting creepy. And then the camera dies. They start to hear creepy voices. A weird green glow starts up. Green is just sort of like the signature colour of these witches, apparently. And then two zombies appear. They have bright red glowing eyes and symbols burned into their face and a lot of back combing has gone on. It seems like in these like 10 seconds, Andrea is converted because suddenly there are three zombies and Angela is missing. But they're all like in the same room and this happens. So I'm guessing Lilith just jumps up behind her, jabs her with the syringe and then suddenly she's, she's a zombie. Uh, which happens way too fast. She declares that she wants revenge on the town and some rock music begins to play. Norman gets thrown down some stairs with some terrible, like, telekinesis acting and Stephanie then, like, kicks Lilith and runs after him. They head to the van and drive away, deciding to head to Angus's because, you know, he probably knows how to kill a witch. Why the fuck not? Uh, Angela is clinging to the van roof like she's a Scooby-Doo villain. They arrive at Angus's house and let themselves in they discover this book on the table, which is a book of arcane symbols, in quote marks. Um, it's like parchment patterned paper with big, big, bold symbols just printed all over it. Some of those symbols are pi, the mathematical symbol. Some other obscure mathematical symbols that I vaguely remember from the walls of my maths classroom. And some which I'm fairly certain are the ones you put on like noxious substances and poisons so that people don't drink them that's all that's on the book but steph's lines imply that she thinks that this is a book of records specifically when she says hey this is the missing book of records but it's it's literally just like giant like euro sign pound sign ampersand pie symbol printed on parchment effect paper there is no text on this whatsoever but she continues to read it and go like this is the birth and death entry for luther fay and i'm like if you're going to say things like that, don't show us that it's not. Maybe it's in some sort of weird medieval windings font, I don't know. 
The sheriff then comes in behind them, rips off his fake moustache and sunglasses to reveal that it's been Angus all along. Which I had noticed, but I thought that they were just multi-rolling that one actor. So, confusion. He says that his forefathers oversaw the witch trials, and so he wanted to prevent the witches being dug up and revived. Why did he kill the mortician? The mortician had nothing to do with this, and yeah, he got his head cut off. It feels like if he hadn't been focusing so much on the mortician, none of this wouldn't have happened. So, I mean, RIP that one guy. They then tell him that despite his best efforts of not doing anything that he should have been doing, the witches have indeed risen. And he's like, well, we might as well give up. Explains that they're probably going to recall the sickness and kill everybody because, you know, they were betrayed. Seems sensible. And he says they need to destroy the bodies before Lilith can complete her work. And they need to do that by using acid that he has in the basement. While they're like conducting this plan and like getting the acid and getting to the funeral home, Steph asks about the 300 plus entry in that book of nonsense that doesn't say anything. And he says it was the only way to be sure and that innocent blood had to be spilled to make sure they got all the guilty people, which is harsh. Uh, they have acid in like one of them long weed sprayer thingies and they go and use it on one set of the bones. And we hear a scream and there's like a flash. So I guess someone somewhere just caught fire. Two remaining zombies burst in and grapple. And the old guy, Angus, um, kind of Van Helsing's someone's arm off. Like he's still got his sword. So he's like, no arm for you. Their arm comes off. They throw acid on another body. There's another fight scene. They acid the third body. Great. All of the um, minions are down. They then con it into Lilith's coffin because it's sealed shut, despite the fact that they must have all been opened, unless these are new coffins. Unclear. Lilith drops through the ceiling onto the floor, like she's the predator, and struggles with Angus. Norman tries to use acid to burn the lid off of her coffin. This works for some reason, and uh, he manages to like get the lid off. But when they manage to open it, the coffin is empty, so her bones are somewhere i don't think we ever find out where they corner lilith but she flies back out the ceiling hole like she's batman then they rush back to the house so this takes about 10 seconds for them to like lose her at the mortuary and then arrive back at the house and when they go in she's working a spell standing on this glowing sigil and she goes i've been expecting you like you saw them 10 seconds ago obviously they were going to follow you here you stupid anyway um they have a little bit of a confrontation and then old man McStabs a lot is like, it took the blood of the guilty to recall this pestilence and now the blood of the innocent will destroy it. And I was like, wait a minute, what is he saying? And then he stabs Stephanie. <sighs> Power move. Norman's like, no, I've known her for four days and I'm in love. Uh, Lilith then gets sucked into the sigil, like twirling around and around and around like a green bean in the garbage disposal. Um... And he starts yelling things like, The blood of the innocent saved us 200 years ago! It must do so again! And Norman's response is just to yell right in his face, You're a freak! So, Norman has some strong feelings about the murder of Stephanie. Stephanie appears to lose consciousness. I thought she was dead, but she definitely makes a noise when old man Angus picks her up. He carries her into the swirling green bean vortex, and then they both vanish unclear as to why angus had to go but he gets zapped out of the movie and then we just see norman like walk, walk out of the house downstairs like oh, fuck 
now I need to call an Uber. How am I going to explain this? Uh, and then it's the end of the movie and there's more rock music and credits. So I didn't really like this one as much as I liked the third one. Don't get me wrong, all the movies were silly and quite short, but I liked the third one more because at least at the start it had more witchy stuff. There was like the whole circle that they did. There were more recognisable like ritual elements. They talked a bit about like Wicca and witchcraft and they seemed to have something to say about the actual idea of, of witchcraft. It feels like the first two movies were just kind of semi-predictable um, monster flicks where it's just like, yeah, let's just have a witch appear and kill some people. But it's not even fun to watch her kill people because we don't really know who they are and the ways in which she's doing it aren't that inventive. Uh, it's So that, that was um, a little bit disappointing. There are some quite bad like plot holes, continuity areas, just things that don't make sense uh, in this movie, and I feel like that's across all three of them as well. They don't seem to continue on from each other or like have carried over like character ideas or traits. Um, like specifically for Lilith, her origin story changes between the first two movies and then the third one is absent entirely. I thought at some point in the first or second movie we would see the book that was being used before or something that would tie her into what happened in the third movie but they're very disjointed and not connected at all so it feels like three separate movies that just happen to have the same villain in it but each time the villain is a different character it just has the same name and looks the same unfortunate the, the third one was a pretty fun watch but kind of ruined it at the end with all of the absolute fuckery that went on and um, the first two were a little bit boring, but at least quite short, so it wasn't like a long watch. I am now trying to get hold of another movie directed by the same guy who directed these called Witches of the Caribbean, which looks like it's going to be silly. So if you have a copy of that or know where I can get one, let me know because I have been unsuccessful so far. I hope you like this review and, you know, let me know if there are any other films you'd like me to look at. Drop those in the comment section on YouTube or email me and I'll see you in the next one. Bye!